This week on the My Love of Golf podcast, we talked to the editor-in-chief of Australia's very own golf publication, Caddy Mag. His name is Will Watt. Will takes us on the journey of how he, with a bunch of other guys, conceived the idea of Caddy Mag and how they brought it to life. And on the eve of the launch of Volume 6, he gives us an insight into what's in store for those of you who go out and grab a copy. And if you haven't seen Caddy Mag, I can only recommend very highly that you go out and have a look at it. You can find some information online at caddymag.com or on Instagram at caddymag. You need to see this magazine because not only is it full of great stories, great interviews and great articles about all things golf, it's probably the best shot visuals that you've ever seen. And you'll find out why when you listen to Will and his background. It's one of those great stories of a young man with an idea who's brought it to life and is now sharing his passion with golfers and non-golfers of the world. It's a beautiful publication. It even feels good in your hand. And that's a mark of something that you want to keep and hold on to. And you look forward to getting two times a year. It only comes out two times a year. But let me tell you, it's worth hitting that subscribe button and waiting for the postman to deliver it to your door. So sit back, relax, enjoy my chat with Will. Do yourself a favour. Go out and have a look at Caddy Mag. It's in newsagents or just subscribe. Go out and get some copies. Enjoy Caddy Mag. It's a great story. Welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. How are you, sir? Doing well, mate. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. Absolute my pleasure. So we're sitting outside here on a beautiful Melbourne morning at Yarra Bend Golf Club out in the park benches, and we're going to have a chat to you about one of the best magazines that I've come across in a long time, Caddy Magazine, which is your baby. It is my baby, yes. Is that the... Is that the right way? That the right way to refer to Caddy Magazine, your baby? <laughs> Probably. It? Yeah. Probably. It takes a lot of a uh, lot of my thinking and a lot of my energy. So, yeah, it's a fair description, I'd say. So, for people who haven't seen Caddy Magazine, and it's still relatively new, you know, as a publication, a couple, you know, a few years old now. Yeah, three years. Describe Caddy Magazine to us. Uh, so it's a, it's a high-end magazine, so coffee table quality, I guess you'd mm-hmm. say. Kind of magazine's almost the wrong word. It's more of a book or a journal each, yeah. um, each edition. And it's only every six months, so biannual. And we, each edition has got a different theme or a different focus to it, um, which is kind of formulated over the initial two months after we go to print with the previous issue, which I'm in that glorious phase at the moment where we've just um, got volume six back from the printers, we're promoting that, but we're starting to think about volume seven. And at the moment, I don't know what that's gonna be, but there's there's 
we're kind of taking the temperature of golf at the moment and, and where things are moving. So each issue we do that, we kind of feel out where we think um, the next issue should go. And that's something that being only twice a year allows you to do. We're not kind of chasing our tails on it. So we'll talk about volume six in, in a bit, but what I'd really like to do is spend a bit of time you know, really understanding the journey of Caddy Mag and right back to, you know, your foundation as the, uh, you know, when you started that ma- the mag. Yep. Where did that come from? You know, what was your background? How did you, you know, conceive the idea to, you know, build this beautiful piece of literature and photography? Uh, so I studied information systems at uni mm-hmm. back in uh, 2001 to 2003. Just excuse the noise there while the guys change the bins over for the uh, Yarra Bend golfers. And um, right after that went travelling around the world for... Uh, might have to redo this bit. <laughs> Greenkeepers and garbage men, you know, they've got right of, ultimate right of way. True. Okay. Okay, so let's go back to that part where we were talking about the, the, your journey and how... Yeah, so I studied information systems at uni mm-hmm. um, and right after that went on a round-the-world trip and about six months into that trip realised that sitting in an office doing information systems was not for me and um, had picked up a digital camera for that trip and found a love of photography during that travel, which is um, a good way to discover photography, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, and found that was a way for me to really um, have a better perception of the world and more curiosity about the world, was trying to get interesting photos about it. So I found that photography really helped me um, in my everyday life in experiencing things at a more in-depth level I guess rather than sort of skirting through mm-hmm. um, especially traveling is kind of you can often just be moving through quickly and photography was a way for me to slow down and and take note of things a lot more so it really became a passion of mine during that trip had you had any exposure to photography you know prior to then or yeah, I mean, my grandfather was an avid amateur photographer. Yeah, right. Um, so we would always go around to his place for a slide night every week and he had all these little um, Q photography club trophies sitting around the house and he'd, I'd often see him looking through his um, film um, through the little magnifying um, devices that they had. So he was... And he had books on photography that I would read during my teenage years and kind of playing around with Polaroid cameras and stuff. So I'd always kind of had photography around, but it um, wasn't until digital came along where it was really um, something that you could experiment with, um, on a, especially and travelling as well, like having something that was interesting to shoot rather than kind of suburbia of Melbourne, um, which, yeah, probably wasn't the, the best canvas at that point. Mm-hmm. And probably um, before I um, discovered street photography as well, which happened kind of after that, trip um got an slr and started shooting the streets of melbourne and my first real photography project was a street photography blog called melbourne street um, where i posted a photo every day it's kind of pre-instagram it was kind of Flickr was the thing back then for photographers and i had a wordpress blog as well and it was all done through that um ended up getting a decent following on facebook and um it's still kind of sitting there in the background but caddy sort of took over um once that started up. And as a golfer, 
So we've had a game of golf together. We went down to uh, the beautiful Peninsula oh Kingswood uh, Country Amazing. Golf Club uh, yeah. a few weeks ago or a month ago. And it was just after the time when you had been commissioned or, or had the opportunity to go and, and shoot down there for, for some work for the, the golf club. What is golf like to you? What does golf mean to you? Oh, mate, golf is such a huge passion and such a huge part of uh, my kind of relaxation and, and leisure, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's um, such a beautiful game as well for personal growth and... Um, and also such a great thing while you're traveling to be able to use golf as a way to kind of guide where you're, where you're traveling and, and what you're doing on your travels. And it's global and the people you meet in it are fantastic. And it's just, it, and it seems like there's, there's a lot of layers to golf as well. <clears throat> like I always played as a kid at, um, we used to play Waddle Park Golf Course um, out in, oh, what is that Camberwell kind of area I would get the tram there and my clubs and whack around with my mates sort of early teens and like that was kind of surface level golf I guess just learning the game and getting into it but the more you get into it the more layers that you can unpeel and you start reading about architecture and the history of the game and the, you know you, I'm not a, uh, much of an equipment guy but you could go really deep on equipment as well if you wanted to um, and the tech in the game and so it's just it's the kind of hobby or passion that is you're never going to be bored with it and you're never going to be short of material for a magazine either yeah. <laughs> so when you say you know it's a great game for personal development what what does that mean to you well it teaches you a lot golf it teaches you patience mm -hmm. it teaches you to laugh at yourself because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how hard you practice you're still going to be embarrassed on the golf course and like learning to keep that in perspective and not be um, not be like losing your cool on the golf course is a real important thing to learn I think um, I, I was one of the one of those guys early 20s you'd, you'd hit a bad drive and smash your driver on the ground and be you know sort of go quiet in the group you'd, if you're having a bad day and kind of learning how to deal with that is kind of transfers into your everyday life as well like it's not that important mm. Nothing, like a lot of things aren't that important it's a it's a great way for to meet people you know and you, you touched on you know travel and you know playing with golf in different destinations and I do a little bit of that you know in, in my travels you know I love to play a game of golf and I'll play with anyone and you know this this world that we're now in you know with social media and, and Instagram and whatever you can you can send someone a message and all of a sudden you know you can potentially be playing golf with them at you know, a destination with someone that you hadn't known I yeah. hadn't met it's, it's, a, true. it's a it's a nice thing so um so you love golf that's obviously why we're here <laughs> let's talk about caddy when did that start what was the what was the moment can you define the moment when it was like I've got to I've got to do this yes I think the the genesis of the idea was um, actually sitting on a aeroplane reading oh there was a slight delay on the tarmac and I bought a couple of golf mags at the airport as, um, you, as we all do yeah <laughs> and Overpri overpriced at those, those places too 
And uh, I think it was like a 15, 20 minute delay. We were sitting on the tarmac. And during that time, I was flicking through them or reading them. And before we had even taken off, I'd read both of them. Mm. And then had nothing for the rest of the flight, like an eight hour flight to Bangkok. And I just noticed, I was like, there's, there's not a lot going on in here, really. Um, and I think I'd bought a Monocle magazine as well. And that, had, that kept me going for the rest of the flight. And that was so chock full of interesting stories. It's like, why isn't there something for golf that has this level of kind of interest and um, depth of storytelling in it? And started ruminating on that idea during that flight um, that maybe there was a space there for uh, a, a golf publication that kind of went to another level on that stuff. Uh, and then sort of spoke to friends about it. Um, we were at Golden Plains Festival up on the hill there where we've talked about a lot of ideas over the years. Mm. We, uh, at one stage, we were going to start a nut company called Nutbag. <laughs> so, you know, these are the kind of level of ideas that we're having. <laughs> but fortunately, this one had a bit more legs to it. And uh, as we kind of talked about it up on the hill there and kind of started... Um, going through a lot of the problems in golf and a lot of those things were kind of this exclusive nature to it. It wasn't that accessible for a lot of people. And talking to people at that festival about golf, this is like four years ago, mm. um, the, the general perception of golf is really poor. And even asking people there, you're kind of embarrassed to admit that you're a golfer at, at that point. That might be too strong, but it, mm. it definitely wasn't proud to be a golfer. Mm. I wasn't. Um, and I thought, that's silly because golf's such a great game. Like, why does it have this perception problem? So that was kind of ruminating for a while and it took about six months, I guess, from there to then sort of start putting a team together and um, actually picking a direction for where it would go. And um, Jane Knight, one of our co-founders, was up on the hill that day and, and she was getting into golf um, and was really struggling as a woman to find her way in the game as well. Mm -hmm. She was finding a lot of barriers there. And we that's sort of from day one, that's been an important part of of what Caddy wants to be. It's sort of a, a unisex, it's um, representing diversity in the game and, and trying to make the game more welcoming and, and fun. Mm -hmm. It's a big job. Yeah, yeah, and we're not the only ones who've recognised this problem, mm. um, but we're just trying to do our bit, I guess, and and it's also a really fun project to work on. So, so the team that you have put together. So you mentioned, you know, the team. Um, what does it take to put, you know, this program and project together? Who, uh, who, who's helping? How many people? Are they full time? Or? No, so. I'm probably the only one working full-time on it. Yep. Um, we've got four of us who put together each issue, like the sort of the co-founders, myself, um, Jane Knight, Dave Carswell, and Cam Hassard. Mm -hmm. Hassard. Uh, Cam is our managing editor. He lives in Berlin. So everything we do with Cam is over the internet. Mm -hmm. um, and Dave and Jane uh, both live in Melbourne, so we get together and talk about each issue and where we're going to take it. Um, they're kind of infrequent meetings and a lot of the um, kind of nuts and bolts stuff just gets done online through 
um, management software um, and meetups and hangouts online and stuff. So that's kind of the core team. And then... So why, why is Cam in Berlin? Uh, so he moved there maybe five or six years ago now. Yeah, right. He's an old school mate, yeah. amazing writer and creative mind and musician and voiceover guy. And well, Berlin's a place to be, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. What a city. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing city. I visited and stayed with him there a few years ago and uh, he's, he's loving it over there, I think it's fair to say. Mm. We've got to the point where we started the magazine. There had to be some intrepidation around you know, building this beautiful product that's going to sit on you know many a golfer's coffee table yeah how did you start that you know a magazine just doesn't grow like that so how did that get off the ground yeah so the first issue was probably about a year in the making Mm -hmm. from like putting together the team and saying let's do this Mm -hmm. um so navigating finding a printer um, finding a distributor, like how, do, how does all that work? Having had no experience in publishing at all. Um, so... Had, had the other guys had experience in publishing? No. Yeah, right. No. Um, so I kind of had... I knew that I had the skill set to be able to put together a, um, a really good printed publication based off... I'd worked in graphic design and um, photography for long enough to know that I could do that. Yeah. Um, it was more around making sure that content was interesting the branding and the pitch of the whole project was in the right place and on point. Uh, and then finding the suppliers that would make it work um, logistically and and um, probably a really valuable um, coffee I had early on was with uh, Tom Petroni who started Paper C magazine. Mm-hmm. Paper C Quarterly was this beautiful surf mag and it was one of the ones that... Um, it was kind of one of our inspirations for what Caddy would look and feel like. Um, so I met up with him for coffee and he sort of saved me a lot of time and money in recommending his printer. Yeah. They'd gone through three or four printers by that stage and he's like, these are the guys to go with and this is how you're going to distribute it. And it was kind of one of the most valuable hours of sitting over a coffee I've ever had. Mm. Um, so that helped a lot. Um, in getting started and, and in confidence knowing that we were working with the right people and doing the, the right process to get all that going. So I don't know, but I can, you know, put in my mind's eye that, you know, the day that the small brown box mm. of, you know, the first dozen or so, you know, samples or whatever you call it, come and arrive at the door and the, the courier <laughs> knocks on this and here you are, here yeah. they are. I can, ima- I can imagine that. Oh, I can't, well, I can't imagine that day. What was it like? Oh, it was pretty wild. Yeah, it was heartbeating, yeah. actual, yeah, opening it up and just seeing, like, this physical thing that we'd made. And, yeah, put 12 months of unpaid effort into, you know, so there's a lot of passion in there. What, what did you do to celebrate that moment? Um, there was actually a really quiet night, but I just read it, like, cover to cover. And it was just like a, a, a big sense of satisfaction of having done that. Um, and also grateful that sort of the Kickstarter project that we'd done and now like the initial batch of supporters who'd come on to make that first edition happen and make a, a possibility. I was just pretty amazed that of that support coming together and, and obviously feeling that kind of groundswell of support for something different in, in golf. 
Um, so yeah, it was really gratifying, but and also kind of daunting because I was like, well, this one, this one looks pretty amazing. I definitely want to do another one now. So <laughs> it kind of it's like it kind of realised what I was in for after that. The Kickstarter campaign was was that a hard project to to get up and running? You know, was it obviously worthwhile? But you know, I, I've never spoken to anyone who's been part of you know raising you know funding through you know, that crowdfunding method. Does that just happen? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously we did a nice video to kick it off and. Like looking back on that video now, it's kind of funny, but um, because oh, it's just pretty, it's just me and some mates going to play at um, St Andrews Beach yep. and uh, just like filmed what we do, like going to have a hit, and then we also combine it with some beautiful travel footage that I'd taken with the drone and just trying to create some of that brand vibe, I guess. Um, but yeah, looking back now, it's probably not not very well finished and a bit clunky but it got the job done and I think people kind of understood where, where we wanted to go with it um, but yeah the actual campaign went pretty well I mean you kind of send that out to all your contacts and like a lot of them were really great in jumping on early so we had like this this good good start to it and then I think word started to spread through the golf community um, enough to the point where we got it funded um, but you know, there's a fair bit of hustle involved there. In he comes to, he, okay. the, gar- the garbage. The garbage man's coming back. <laughs> did, did he give you a nod? <laughs> he, he did actually, <laughs> to his credit. That's uh, wonderful stuff down here at Yarra Bend. Very courteous. Um, you always have a great golf experience down here at Yarra Bend. They're very accommodating. Uh, you were recently here the other Sunday when you had the uh, biggest torrential downpour that I've ever seen in a 10-minute burst. But um, <laughs> yeah. So the crowdfunding went well. Yeah. Well enough? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it yeah. covered our, our first print run. Yeah. So um, it was kind of a... It was a good way to reduce the risk of, like, instead of outlaying 20 grand on hmm. the first print run and hoping that someone bought it, it's kind of a way for people to pre, pre-purchase and, and make, make the idea viable before you actually do it, I guess. So we're now in the issue of Volume 6. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Thanks, mate. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's a great achievement um, because, you know, a minute ago you said, you know, volume one, um, okay, let's do another one. And, and, I, and now it's, you know, volume six. I can't imagine that you have uh, any plans to, to slow down. So congratulations on that. Some of the content stories from, you know, volume one through to volume six, what have been the standouts for you? Um, well, obviously, Barn Boogle for Volume One is always a special one because that was our first destination feature, and a great way for uh, us to kind of me and Dave were down there um, shooting for three days and playing golf, and it was, it was a good way for us to kind of experience the fun side of producing the mag, which is visiting amazing golf destinations and. Mm-hmm doing photography and golf which are two passions of ours um so that was a really fun one uh but i i think um the nepal trip which came together through one of dave's mates who was running a motorcycle tour company over there oh yeah um was 
pretty cool kind of discovering the uh, the Himalayan golf course over there and I remember during that trip the Kickstarter was still live for volume one so we're still kind of unsure if what we were doing would ever end up if there would be a volume two um, so it was a really exciting time like we, I remember logging in from the hostel Wi-Fi to see how the Kickstarter was going that morning to see if volume one was going to happen and um, afterwards going out and playing the Himalayan golf course which is one of the most incredible golf courses in the entire world um, it was a pretty fun experience describe the Himalayan golf course what is that in, in Nepal? Uh, it's in Pokhara, yeah, in Nepal. And uh, you, it's in a valley, actually, um, with a river running through it, almost a canyon. Uh, and you tee off from the top of the canyon, like right down into it. And the backdrop is the Himalayas. So they're about 30 kilometres away, but they look like they're about two kilometres away because the height is just so out of perspective with what you would normally experience. Yeah. So you, you tee off, you watch your ball sail into the Himalayas and then it drops for about 10 seconds down into this valley on the opening par four. And it's just the most jaw-dropping start to a round you can imagine. And then you sort of head down into the valley and you crisscross this um, river, which is kind of fed by a Himalayan snow melt um, about four or five times across little rickety bridges and... And they've carved in these, all by hand, carved in these holes into the canyon. And it's really like an arduous walk. It's a proper hike. It actually gets quite hot down there as well during the day. Um, but you have kind of local caddies with you as well. I think the day we were filming, there were four of us playing. We each had a caddy. And then there was about four or five other locals just kind of checking out what was going on. So there's a crew of about 16 of us cruising around. Um, this golf course up and down up and down uh, the canyon which is pretty fun so I guess that experience isn't so much about the quality of the uh, the golf course but you know what's a Himalayan golf course like yeah you know, I can't imagine the Santa Ana Cooch and you know, <laughs> no. been grass green green fairways but uh, uh, green sorry no they, they weren't running that quick but um <laughs> it didn't matter at didn't all ma- yeah. no. and that's that's the beauty eh? it doesn't matter because you, you know you're golfing your ball yeah. You're in some beautiful destination, and if you have to take a preferred light or move a rock or whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It was actually, I mean, the uh, the buffalo there did a decent job of keeping the fairways down and, and goats and <laughs> whatnot, so. Well, goats, you mentioned goats. Um, the, uh, what's the ranch? Sylvie's Valley Sylvie, Ranch. Sylvie's yeah. Valley Ranch. So talk to us about Sylvie's Valley Ranch. Yeah, that was a pretty pretty crazy last minute trip um kind of got invited over there to cover their goat caddy program which um is pretty uh pretty crazy idea on their behalf to uh actually rig up these goats with uh golf bags um the Seamus golf team got onto that Akbar was uh very excited about that idea and made it happen and they actually have now working golf uh, goat caddies that you can go and play. They've got a, a nine-hole course that you can get, head out with your goat and <laughs> play golf with. I've seen I've seen the pictures and seen some of the videos around that, and you know the the, the goat has a saddle, and the golf clubs are attached to the saddle. Yeah. And 
there's place for cans. You can put your cans of beer and yeah, stuff three like beers that. and three, a bag of peanuts. Three beers and a bag of peanuts, which is obviously for the goat, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And uh, where's where's Sylvie's Valley Ranch? Yeah, so that's uh, about six hours inland from Portland. Okay. Uh, which I did straight after landing. So I flew Melbourne, Vancouver, Vancouver, Portland. Jumped in a hire car and drove six hours out to Sylvie's Valley's Ranch. I was pretty exhausted when I got there, but was uh, was, yeah, I think it was 38 hours or something door to door. Um, We'd had a couple of flight delays, but woke up the next morning at dawn for a uh, sunrise shoot and just found myself in this incredible, peaceful, still ranch location. It felt like I was in some kind of Hollywood set or something, but it was real. So other destinations of, of note or other you know shoots that you've been on that you you know there's something that stands out as you know wow that's that's something that I'd like to do again or maybe don't do it again because I want just want that memory that I had to remain yeah well one uh, one that stands out um, that Eric Lang actually gave me the tip when he was here a couple of years ago was Askenish in Scotland mm. um, he was we were having dinner one night and he, he was just like, mate, you have to go to Askenish. doesn't matter what else you do because they knew I was going over there. It's like, that, that's my one tip for your trip. Um, and there was actually my honeymoon uh, that we were on. So it took a little bit of convincing uh, to head all the way out to the, like the far reaches of Scotland, really, the Outer Hebrides. Um, kind of have to drive out to the Isle of Skye, then jump on a ferry and, and drive another 45 minutes. Um, but you get out there and it's, that is like true Lynx heartland kind of so that's, experience. That's one of Tom Morris's. Yeah, it's the old Tom Morris yeah. course that they've um, kind of rediscovered in the last 15, 20 years. So what, what's the story there? So it had grown over or it had become out, it went out of play and then they rediscovered it by, you know, finding some of his original drawings or maps and then and have recreated it? Yeah, I can't remember who exactly it was, but there was some um, American golfer was out there fishing and people, there was still, like, in the lexicon, people knew that it was an old Tom Morris course, mm. like the locals knew that and had kind of mentioned that in passing to this fisherman who happened to be I think he's some kind of investor um, golf investor developer anyway um, and he said well, excuse me it's an old Tom Morris course did you just say that like up there on the coast he said yeah 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 and they went and checked it out and walked around and yeah managed to find some old plans and put a plan in place to actually bring this thing back to life which is pretty amazing um and now it's playable. Mm. I think there's one greenskeeper and, and his dog who we met out there. It's just cruising around chasing rabbits and it doesn't get any more pure and real than that. So it was an amazing place to play and kind of every golf course since then, you kind of refer back to that because it's, it's so raw and real. Like the greens are just absolutely insane. Um, contours on it that you could never you def- definitely couldn't do it at Peninsula Kingswood <laughs> speeds <laughs> but um, it makes you look at other golf courses with a different view on things it's yeah it's how it, how it started you know 
I'd have to do a lot of convincing to get <laughs> Mrs. Flanagan to want to join me on a trip up to Askanish when we go to Scotland in September, but uh, I might have to do it on my own. Mate, you should get out there. Uh, yeah, it's um, well, it's a beautiful place to visit yeah. as well. Like that that ferry ride across, you you're heading, like if you look at it on a map, you're heading right out into next like, next stop Iceland. Sort of yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and visiting a place like that, it's kind of a, it's a, probably as remote a place as you can go um, in the Western world, at least. Mm. Yeah. So closer to home, uh, I think. Issue four, volume four. Yep. Oh, the Nullarbor links. Nullarbor. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Great trip. So me and Dave and Jane, uh, me and Dave did the Nullarbor, Jane met us in Perth. Yeah, we set out and um, from Adelaide in a camper van and played our way across over the course of a week. Um, we actually teamed up with the annual Nullarbor links classic that they do, mm-hmm. uh, which is a group of about 40 odd um, mostly grey nomads working their way across and some great characters in that group so it was fun hanging out with those those guys for a few of the nights we ended up pushing ahead of them a little bit um, just because we had to get back to Perth at some stage you could spend two weeks out there just exploring it was I actually love the the desert vibes out there how was the uh, camper van life? Um, it was good I mean, we were pretty glad to get to a hotel when we got to Perth with the three of us in there towards the end. Um, yeah, that was, it was a good way to travel because you've got everything kind of set up and can just jump out with your golf clubs and play a hole and jump back in and hit the road again. Yeah, it keeps things, keeps things pretty simple. Just don't lose your drone charger. All oh, right. <laughs> yeah. I had a drone incident yesterday, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't tragic, but... Uh, okay. Who have you had the opportunity to interview? You know, there are a couple of... I know, I know you've, you've interviewed you know, Doak, for example, and, and Gil Hans. Yep. What are those guys like to, to chat to, either physically or via... You know, what was their interviews like? What, what, the giving of their time? Yeah, like everyone in the golf industry has been amazingly generous with their time. And I think often we'll send a a copy of Caddy ahead of time um, so people can get an understanding of what we're about. And generally, once people have seen it, they are positive about what we're trying to do. So they're they're giving us time and, um, and their kind of expertise, which is like initially that first kind of interview with Tom Doak was um, over email. I was in New Zealand heading to Cape Kidnappers and researching it and it's like, I wonder if, uh, it was sort of late at night, I wonder if um, Tom Doak could actually answer some questions about this place because I was pretty intrigued how that had got built and fired off an email and he got back to me in like 10 minutes. It was like, yeah, what do you want to know? Send through some questions. I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. Like we can... Now that we've got a, a vehicle to approach people with, it's kind of opening doors yeah. for us. So, um, yeah, from there, we I, Tom actually invited us to the Renaissance Cup that following year because he liked the article and was interested in what we were doing. So kind of, I think, six months later, we were over in um, Michigan playing the latest golf course by Renaissance Golf, Stoughton Bray up there, and um, meeting all the 
golf industry people that I'd kind of been following for a couple of years while we were getting the whole project together and meeting Tom and um, playing golf with all those guys was yeah it was pretty it was like quite a sudden entrance I guess into uh, an industry that um, I thought would be a lot less inviting I guess like I was kind of prepared for golf to be a hard nut to crack um, but it wasn't it like it, it was actually a really welcoming community which is really cool did you pinch yourself you know at the renaissance cup you know with the luminaries of you know, <laughs> golf design and golf you know course architecture yeah yeah it was pretty wild yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was um it was a funny story we were we were drawn to play so i went over with um jack carswell who um had written our bamboogle feature volume one as a, a gun golfer because we wanted to win this thing right <laughs> Stack the team. Yeah. So uh, we were over there playing and we were drawn in our first round. We were playing with um, a couple of US golf riders. And the second round was uh, we were drawn to play against Tom Doak at a course that he hadn't played before because he designed it, but he had never played it. Um, and there were nine holes. So we played our first nine, and I was like, mate, if we win this, we play with Tom Doak on a golf course that he helped design but has never played. How amazing is that going to be? We've got to win this first match. And we won it five, after five holes, we were five holes up. So we were done. I was like, this is awesome. The back nine's going to be with Tom Doak. And you could have let the, the you know the founder of the competition have a you know a little bit more, a little bit more in over the over the nine holes, mate. Well, no, so this was uh, this was to get to play with him. All oh, right, okay. yeah. So right, and so I'm looking forward to the back nine because yeah. it's going to be with Tom Doak. But then I watched Tom from a distance play a shot, and he he duffed it, and I started realizing if he loses his match, right. we don't get to play yeah. <laughs> because we play the winner of. Uh, his match and sure enough they lost and didn't get to play with Tom Doak and the guys that we'd just beaten five zip didn't get to play with him so did you beat the next guys uh we did yeah we won a couple of rounds and then had a heartbreaking loss Mm. on the uh final hole of our third round match to the eventual champions so oh well no no mean feat yeah so uh well done so you know what we're talking about architects and architecture what are the things that you're seeing in golf course architecture that stand out? You know, you've, you've covered most of the good course, most of the courses that are, you know, popping up in, you know, discussions around modern architecture or revisitation of architecture of, you know, years gone by and, and modernisation of those types of courses. What are you seeing as, as trends or what's interesting you in design? Um, I think it's interesting that the sand belt is has become a really in vogue style I guess um, of these firm and fast classic design classic strategy 101 courses it's, especially in the US now it's becoming something that um, architects are pointing to like Gil Hans particularly mentions the sand belt a lot yeah. in, in his designs so sort of playing stream song black over there that's like a lot of a lot of things from the sand belt you're starting to see, especially with bunker styles and some of the ground ground game as well, starting to filter through into those sort of places, which is pretty cool to see. 
Um, and then Peninsula Kingswood is kind of taking that sandbelt style to another level, I think, in terms of the, the finish of the place and the, the way you're approaching those holes. You just you stand on the tee each almost every hole there, and you're you're thinking about what you're going to play, and I think thinking golf is becoming much more important than kind of the that kind of dark ages of 80s and 90s design where it was less about strategy and more about execution. Do you think Peninsula Kingswood stands out that much? You know, I'm biased. Yeah. Because. You know, people who listen to this podcast know that I'm a member there, and you know Rocket, who shares one of the um, shares the podcast with me on some other episodes, is also a member there, and, and we've spoken about our passion about the place. But do you think, and, and you're not a mem- not a member there? No. Do you think it does stand out so significantly? In oh yeah, it's amazing. It's the the level of the level of finish on that place is better than anything I've played in Australia, and it's right up there with the best in the US as well. Right. So it's it's pretty exceptional what's what's happened there and yeah, you're pretty lucky <laughs> to be a member I, there. No, I definitely am and, and I yeah, pinch myself every time I go and play there um, Yeah, based on that fact that I am lucky. Mike Cocking obviously had a lot to do with, you know, the redevelopment there at Peninsula Kingswood and is also one of your contributors. Yeah, Mike's amazing. Yeah. So the sandbelt issue, you know, he was uh, very, I guess, influential in that 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 issue. What do you think of Mike? You know, what, is he a, is he a doke or a Hans or a Core and Crenshaw of the future? I would I would put him in that category. Yeah. yeah. I mean, looking at what's happened at Peninsula Kingswood, um, it's it's hard to imagine anything better happening there from from that redevelopment. Mm. Um, so, and and you can look at his other work as well. And be, I'd, I'd love to go to Yangtze Dunes and and play there um, in China. Yep, um, to see see how that went. And um, but yeah, for sure, mate. And and working with him on um, articles for Caddy Magazine's been awesome. Like his his talent for um, for his renderings that he does, yeah. are just beautiful as well. And he writes really well, and he's a great interview. And yeah, I mean, everyone loves Mike. Yeah. <laughs> On the Roscoe and Rocket episode, uh, Mike's been promised some of Rocket's grandmother's uh, shortbreads as an indu- as an indu- right. inducement to come and talk to us. <laughs> yeah. But Mike's a great guy. We've spoken about Mike a lot. So, mate, volume six. What's Grow the game. Is that the, the overarching theme of... No. No. <laughs> no. Grow the game is an interesting one. Right. I'm... I actually speak about that a little bit in the blurb for Volume 6. Yes. But... Well, I haven't think, seen Volume 6 yet, so that's where I probably picked that up from. Yeah, so... So what's Volume 6 all about? Well, Grow the game is interesting because I think that's been misinterpreted over the years into... We need more people to play golf full mm-hmm. stop. Yep as in grow, get larger. But grow actually doesn't mean just get bigger. It actually means to evolve and to change. And I think that part of grow the game has gone missing. So I think a a better phrase might be change the game or evolve the game, um, which is where volume six really sits. 
it's not necessarily about just getting more people to play golf. Yep. It's like what what is the nature of golf and how can how can it be more welcoming as a as a game and as a sport rather than just trying to shove it down people's throats with grow the game, grow the game, grow the game, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so we and volume six is really the most important one that we've done. Um, it's really hearkening back to the uh, what I was speaking about with the initial concept of Caddy, making helping golf be more welcoming and more fun and um, having a better perception in the wider community. It's finally kind of coming together in volume six um, in terms of the stories that we're, we're covering here. So a lot of what we've done in the past has been sort of the travel and um, exploring the culture of the game. And we're, we were finding our own feet in the game as well, like trying to learn about golf and where does it sit and what, what are the elements of it that could be improved and changed and evolved. And now I think we got to the point where we were confident enough to say, this is what, this is what we think going forward um, needs to happen for golf to evolve. Um, so a big part of that was uh, our feature interview with Shiloh Curtis, who's the new um, female engagement manager at Golf Australia. Uh, and Shiloh comes from the AFLW program. She helped build the AFLW from a grassroots movement into what it is today, which is a huge effort. Yeah. You know, and doing that in, a, in a, an environment that... Um, it's quite challenging to build a women's competition within the AFL. There are a lot of barriers there to do that and probably not dissimilar to what a lot of golf clubs face as well um, in terms of getting proper female engagement and participation. We've got 80% of club members are male at the moment and 20% are female and that's been declining from the 60s, 70s to today. So the the trend line is really bad. Mm. So we're kind of at a pretty low point there. Um, so unless something changes, I, why would that trend line change? Mm. So I think it's kind of, it's got to a point where it's like, okay, let's let's actually have a good look at this and, and what, what's going wrong here? What, what's the disconnect? Um, so we've, we've got an in-depth interview with Shiloh about that and I think it's covered really well in there what what needs to happen and it's um yeah it's it was really gratifying to work on that and that kind of influenced my forward as well which is a lot about a lot of it comes to back to conquering fear in golf like why is there this fear in the game for people who are trying to get into the game there's it's it, there's like a big fence there of intimidation and and yeah, it's scary for a lot of people, golf. I meet, you know, a lot of new lady golfers, female golfers, and, you know, I can concur that, you know, that's their initial thoughts. But what I do know is once they experience, you know, going out there and I'm pointing at the golf course and with a couple of their friends, male or female, they love it. They fall in love with that whole being out, listening to the birds that we can hear chirping away, being in the sunshine that we've, we were adorned with, and they just love the experience. And it's less about the score. You know, they do want to improve and, and get better, and, and they usually go and get some lessons and coaching because they become very passionate about improving. 
you know, there's a professional women, you know, at different stages of, of life, and they just love it. So there's no reason why there should be this fear or any barrier or any perception of a barrier. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great initiative um, that you've undertaken to, to highlight that in, in, the, in the issue. Well done. Yeah, like I said, it's definitely the most important issue we've done. And there's there's some other stories in there looking around different ways that the game can evolve and evolve, yeah. and, and be more accessible. There's a really cool article on uh, ground golf in Japan. Um, there's a large format photographer over there, David Chow, is posting some of these photos on Instagram of these elderly Japanese folks who head out to local parks, set up some holes. They've got little... Um, movable yeah. um, kind of wireframe holes that they plonk around and they have these hockey style balls and these really interesting kind of flat stick putters and they just knock the ball around and they get out you know three four times a week and socialize and it's basically kind of mini golf I guess on a flat surface croquet golf type thing yeah kind of cro- yeah but that's it's still golf you know still golfing and, your ball yeah and you know, Japan has one of the, uh, the highest um, age average of, of any country in the world and they know how to look after themselves and they recognise the importance of staying social, staying active and getting out there and I think golf's a great way to do that. It's a sport you can play till you're, till you're 95, 100, you know. So how do we get volume six? How, does, how, you can, how do you get caddy? Uh, so we are in news agents. If mm-hmm. people still go to news agents, mm-hmm. um, I, it was funny. My younger sister was asking me early on, like, "How do you get caddy?" And I told her, "You can get it in a news agent." And she actually asked me, "What is a news agent?" Yeah, right. <laughs> Which I didn't actually know how to explain because it's just a news agent. So yeah, we still have that that channel, um, but online's probably the easiest way, yeah. just to sort of purchase online and uh, we mail it straight to your house or. You can subscribe and we'll send you the latest issue whenever it comes out. I just want to talk about one final part of what you do and I can imagine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you get a lot of questions about gear in photography, drones, cameras. Is that, does that, do you get a lot of questions about you know, what camera do you use? What drone are you using? Yeah. yeah. I might have asked you what drone you use at one stage. Yeah, it does come up. Um, so at the moment I'm flying the Mavic 2 Pro. Mm-hmm. I did have an Inspire 1 that was kind of my first drone camera, which is probably a bit overkill initially, mm-hmm. um, and kind of spec that up to the point where it was only getting 12 minutes of the flight time. Right. So um, the inspired the one with the, 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 the feet that yeah. articulate pretty, up as you launch a, it, yeah. It's a pretty cool uh, pretty cool and um, quite intimidating device when you send it up initially, especially three years ago when kind of drones were just starting. I remember flying it around with some mates and they were actually scared of the thing because it was so intimidating looking. Um, but the technology in drones has been insane over the last three years. So the Mavic 2 Pro's costs about a third, weighs about a fifth, takes about 30 seconds to set up instead of five minutes, flight time's half an hour, and the image quality is just as good. So it's been pretty wild seeing that evolve. I thought the Inspire one would last me five years, but I've sold it off now because um, there's no need for it, really. And for all the ground 
stuff I shoot. It's uh, Canon 5D Mark III and yeah. various prime lenses. Did you still do any shooting on film? Have you ever used a bit of celluloid? Yeah, so Dave's a passionate film photographer, our um, photography editor, and he's actually just getting into large format yeah. photography at the moment. He's been tinkering with that for about six months, and the portrait we did of Shiloh for Volume 6 is shot on large format. So he's sort of got the, the hood over him and um, putting in the big yeah. sort of big slides and about 10 minutes to set up a shot, and then it's sort of click, <laughs> 20 bucks. <laughs> Any drone drone dramas everyone's got a drone drama story um, lots of drone no I've been pretty good yeah right yeah I've had a couple of little incidents we caught up a tree once which oh. was but yeah I'm, I'm a pretty good flyer okay <laughs> any tips that you want to give anyone if they're aspiring you know golf course architecture golf course um, photographers yeah, it seems to be you know, certainly social media everyone loves you know getting out with their smartphone and trying to you know use the filters and and take interesting you know shots is, is there anything that you want to that you could leave the listeners with if they are one of those guys photography wise yeah um i guess time of day is obviously really <laughs> important um you really want to be shooting in that first hour after sunrise or the first couple of hours before sunset it's when you're going to get the most interesting light mm-hmm. and it's going to give you a lot more options for what you shoot because um, all the contours in the ground are going to express themselves mm-hmm. at that time of day. Uh, and for me, a lot of it is figuring out how to work with that early light and are you shooting into it or with it or across from it. It just really depends on how you, how you can make the ground express itself the best, I guess, mm-hmm. is what I would, how I'd put it. You're looking for contrast in the in the ground mm-hmm. so you, you almost always need a bit of sunshine you can sh- I mean some of the King Island stuff we shot was during overcast conditions and it kind of suited that style and we had some really dark stormy clouds and stuff yeah. um, but generally you want a bit of sunlight on there to help the, the ground pop so I think I've covered everything that I want to do it's been a, a great chat and very insightful for me to learn more about your journey is there anything else you want to talk about, Will? Anything um, we've missed? I guess the just with the Shiloh Curtis story we're talking about, there is a video coming out mm-hmm. um, in the next few weeks, hopefully. We'll see. Video is always a beast to wrangle, but actually um, Scratch TV in the US um, are going to help distribute that, um, which is pretty exciting for us to be working with them um, on such an important story. So I guess just for people to keep an eye out for that video and um, I think that'll kind of give a good good idea of what Volume 6 is really about. One thing I was going to ask is, are there any people, you know, in the current landscape that you're influenced by, you like to follow or, or you enjoy looking at, watching? Uh, in the golf space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I love, I love uh, Andy Johnson's work, Fried Egg and... Mm-hmm. Um, shotgun starts good fun as well um, obviously in, in video you've got Eric doing amazing things with his crew um, and Stu uh, love watching their their travels and kind of their uh, and like probably a, a similar approach to the game where it's like let's make it fun and let's make it accessible and, and inviting for people which is great 
and the no laying up guys as well love i love their vibe over there and it'd be great to see some some more of these youtubers popping up as well there's obviously some of their british guys as well i've watched yeah. over the years and yeah it's um it's a really exciting time in golf uh, especially golf um media and and youtubers and that sort of thing it's there's plenty going on and and podcasters like yourself mate so yeah it's really cool what do you think the next five years looks like in that space oh it's gonna i think it's golf kind of lags behind a lot of the time in um in media i think so i think you can look to other industries and how it's got to the point where um some of the youtubers and and podcasters are now the predominant voices in those industries so i can see that happening in golf as well where some of those traditional titles might not be quite as influential as they are well thank you very much for joining me mate i really do appreciate it because you know it's a big deal for me to have you on and you know we we i think i said when we met and we played golf that you know i was a little bit nervous about asking you if we'd do this and uh but i do appreciate your uh, time and you know i wish you all the very best with um the release of volume six and the future articles which you know i'm an advocate advocate uh avid supporter of and avid reader of the beautiful product so jump online order your issue order four issues <laughs> like <laughs> ross did order four issues like i did and give them to some people <laughs> give them to someone who you think might be you know interested in golf interested in exploring you know the opportunity to play golf and just whack a caddy mag down in front of them and say this is what you're missing yeah get involved that's part of our original thought was what if someone who doesn't play golf reads this magazine will they find it interesting and i think i think we generally tick that box absolutely uh, thanks very much for having me mate it's been a mate. pleasure and uh, i love love what you're doing with the podcast and thank you yeah I, all, all the best thank you very much will what the my love of golf podcast check him out where can we get you at caddy at uh, what's your instagram at Caddy, C-A-D-D-I-E. M-A-G. M-A-G. There we go. All right, thank you very much. Thanks, Ross.